Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Uh, please visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. They put out on the town, it's a weekly email that you can receive about the highlights of what's happening here on the Paradise Coast. Just visit naplesillustrated.com. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Phil Kirpin, the president of American Commitment. We'll be talking about the stimulus package. Sharon Kenny is the author of Where Should We Eat? She writes commentary on travel, dining, and entertainment. And Dave Bigo, he's the owner and founder of Executive Management Services, doing business in over 40 states, over 6,000 employees. He wrote a book called The Devil at Our Doorstep, about the travails of dealing with union bosses and their dirty tricks over the course of two and a half years. It is a really interesting read. You just can't make this stuff up. It is April the 24th, and on this day in 1800, President John Adams approved legislation to approve $5,000 to purchase such books as may be necessary for the use of Congress, thus establishing the Library of Congress. The first books ordered from London arrived in 1801 and were stored in the U.S. Capitol, the library's first home. The first library catalog dated April uh, 1802 listed 964 volumes and nine maps. Twelve years later, the British Army invaded the city of Washington and burned the Capitol, including the then 3,000-volume Library of Congress. Former President Thomas Jefferson, who advocated the expansion of the library due to two terms in office, responded to the loss by selling his personal library, the largest and finest in the country, to the Congress. Uh, if, to recommence the library. The purchase of Jefferson's 6,487 volumes was approved in the next year, and professional librarian George Waterston was hired to replace the house clerks in the administration of the library, and in 1851, a second major fire in the library destroyed about two-thirds of its 55,000 volumes. Congress responded quickly and generously to make disaster to the disaster, and within a few years, a majority of the lost books were replaced. After the Civil War, the collection was greatly expanded, and by the 20th century, the Library of Congress had become the de facto National Library of the United States and one of the largest in the world. Today, the collection houses three enormous buildings in Washington, D.C., containing more than 17 million books, as well as millions of maps, manuscripts, photographs, films, audio and video recordings, prints, drawings, and digital materials. Library of Congress, quite, quite a, I actually know a guy who uh, had difficulty reading, reading and uh, he, he got materials sent to him personally recorded by the Library of Congress so that he could pass certain exams. So interesting. Also on this day, 2003, China uh, shut down the Beijing hospital as the global health toll from SARS surpassed 260. History does repeat itself, doesn't it? Well, the Florida Department of Health verified three deaths of COVID-19 in Cuyahoga County yesterday. With the additions, the number of fatalities tied to COVID-19 in Cuyahoga County now sits at 14. Reports of increasing deaths come as Cuyahoga County surpassed 500 positive cases of coronavirus, according to the State Department of Health's report. 
The victims included uh, in Thursday evening's report ranged from 79 to 101 years of age. Among them are 79-year-old female and 99-year-old female and 101-year-old female. In Collier County, 77 people have been hospitalized for the uh, virus, although many of them have been released. I'll just point out, this people are on their death certificate says died with coronavirus. Is there any doubt in your mind? There certainly is in mine whether these people may have just died of old age or perhaps some other type of inf infirmity that was uh, plaguing them during the end of their life. Well, the Center for Disease Control has tripled the number of symptoms that could be indicators of coronavirus, including muscle pain, headaches, loss of smell and taste. The CDD, CDC previously listed three key symptoms as shortness of breath, fever, and cough. It now warns that older adults and those with underlying medical conditions continue to be at higher risk for serious complications for the virus. Its website says fever, cough, shortness of breath, chills, repeated shaking, muscle pain, headaches, sore throat, and loss of taste or smell could all be symptoms that could appear between the 2 and 14 uh, days after exposure. If you have a sudden change in taste or smell, it's shown through the study and several other, uh, others that this may be an initial marker, so you would not want to be spreading it, one of the researchers said. 94% of New York uh, City coronavirus hospital patients suffered from underlying health conditions. That speaks volumes, doesn't it, about what's happening right now? Well, there's an antibody study. It suggests that about 14% of New Yorkers who were randomly tested uh, carry antibodies for uh, COVID-19 in their system, and the rate jumps to more than 21% within New York City, the study indicates that at least 2.7 million people in the state may have had the virus, compared to more than 260,000 confirmed cases there, and that the mortality rate of the virus could actually be much lower than initially anticipated, which is about 6%. They think it's down to 0.5%, and while the results are preliminary, uh, Governor Cuomo asked, said the data could help inform other states uh, when they decide to reopen. Health experts have now cautioned against putting too much weight on the antibody testing with concerns over its accuracy and whether it can determine immunity. So again, health officials saying, not so fast, don't open the economy, you've got to pay attention to your health. Well, we certainly want to pay attention to our health. Any, anybody out there experiencing mask shaming? I was uh, pumping gas yesterday for my wife's car. And a woman in the next car who was pumping gas was wearing a mask and gave me what it appeared to be the evil eye. So are we developing a class of Wuhan plague Nazis? Is someone akin to the behavior towards climate deniers? And I'm saying this only because, you know, who's in charge of your health? It's you. Who's in charge of my health and well-being? It's me. And uh, all of a sudden people want to start uh, influencing others by and shaming others into the behavior that they've chosen. House Speaker Pelosi on Thursday wiped her dripping nose with her bare hand and then took the same hand and wiped it all over the House floor lectern used by other members of Congress. Pelosi and other lawmakers had the nerve to lecture Americans about social distancing guidelines amid the coronavirus pandemic, and they can't even follow their own basic instructions. How about that? Rules for thee, but not for me. Hey, by the way, if, uh, if we all were required by law... To wear a mask, I'd certainly wear a mask. I don't like all the laws that it w that we follow. I don't like to pay income taxes, but I do that because it's the law. So uh, we should pay attention to the law. But uh, just because you choose to wear a mask doesn't mean I should. 
Well, another 4.4 million Americans filed for unemployment claims last week. The Labor Department reported Thursday as massive job losses caused by the coronavirus pandemic continued to grow. The new report, which covers the week ending April the 18th, brings total job losses since the virus outbreak to uh, 26 million folks, erasing the entirety of the 22.78 million market uh, labor market gains since the Great Recession more than a decade ago. Can you believe that? With a labor force that totals about 162 million folks, this figure suggests the unemployment rate is about 16% or roughly one in six Americans significantly higher than the 10% peak during the 2008 financial crisis. The previous one-week high for jobless claims was 695,000 in 1982, back in the day. States are burning through cash, reserving uh, reserved for unemployment claims as millions of Americans and workers put out work by a pandemic apply for job, jobless benefits. At an unprecedented rate, Florida alone has seen 505,000 filings, more than double the previous week's total, according to the adjusted figures. But claims uh, began to drop in some of the nation's biggest states. California saw a decrease, as did New York. So perhaps we're moving in the right direction. Well, the House of Representatives yesterday passed a $484 billion relief package to rescue small businesses, provide more aid to stressed hospitals, and expand coronavirus testing. The measure, the fourth in the bipartisan coronavirus bill, now heads to the president's Donald Trump's uh, desk for his signature. The legislation passed in the Senate by a voice vote on Tuesday. It was approved by the House's uh, 388 to 5 with one member voting present. It delivers $310 billion infusion to the Paycheck Protection Program. That's good. A forgivable loan program that ran out of money last week amid skyrocketing demand. And while both Republicans and Democrats supported the bill, they sparred over it, and uh, GOP members accused Democrat House Speaker Nancy Pelosi of stalling passage of the emergency aid to extract greater concessions while the country's economic woes and joblessness intensified. And there is apt to be a bumper path ahead as uh, battle lines are formed uh, for <clears throat> more ambitious future legislation that may prove far more difficult to move through Congress. And uh, we're talking about, of course, the president's re uh, referred to infrastructure rules and laws that uh, building our infrastructure. He says we could borrow the money at almost no cost, so why not do it? Well, this all right now we're getting up to about oh, $25 trillion in debt, far more than the, the uh, GDP each year. So I'm getting very concerned about the amount of debt. It's just almost people, you know, a, a trillion here, a trillion there, it all adds up, doesn't it? Unbelievable. So uh, in a related matter, the House used a party line 212 to 182 vote yesterday to establish a special committee to oversee how the Trump administration spends the money. And Republicans accused the Democrats of playing po politics with the crisis. But Democrats said Congress needs to keep an eye on the effort. Well, I couldn't agree more. We're going to talk more about that later in the show. By the way, Ruth Chris's uh, hospitality group is returning $20 million in a loan from U.S. government stimulus fund meant for small businesses. Uh, the owners of steakhouses joined other restaurants like Shake Shack, Sweet Green, and Kura Sushi USA in giving back borrowed money for the Paycheck Protection Program. That's good. Uh, universities have given back the money too, Harvard and others. The University of Notre Dame said, nope, we're not going to give it back. $13.8 billion 
uh, endowment, and uh, they're going to go ahead and accept the $5.8 million in federal coronavirus aid because they, uh, they believe uh, they need it to uh, help students with their financing of their education. Not so sure that's a good idea. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And of course, an update because the coronavirus needed to cancel the season for the balance of the season, but great season coming up next year for Golf Shore Playhouse. Check out the productions at golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Phil Kirpin with American Commitment. Right now we have research fellow at the Cato Institute, William Yateman. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. 
Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Certainly my pleasure. So I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the stimulus money that's being spent. But before we do, uh, just an observation. Yesterday, the Supreme Court supported the president's decision to uh, uh, reduce immigration and to uh, actually, I think it was more around having people leave the country who have committed crimes, uh, people who have immigrated. So just wanted to get your thoughts about the Supreme Court and its relationship to the rule of law. Well, I guess so. You did trigger my memory, and, and I think this was more a straight statutory interpretation case rather than one that that implicated constitutional questions per se. Mm -hmm. um, but it it is in line. Um, I'll say this: you know, immigration is one of those matters because it does. But Congress has uh, uh, expressed constitutional authority over the naturalization of citizens. Um, and the president, of course, has this independent Article II constitutional authority sort of over, you know, our borders um, and whatnot. Uh, traditionally, what I'm getting at is that it's a sort of question that courts have, have left for the political branches of government. Um, so the extent to which Congress exercises its constitutional authority to empower and uh, the president, I mean, you know, pass one of these uh, immigration laws that gives the president, um, authorizes the president to do things, you know, pursuant to law, that bolsters the president's independent constitutional authority, which is a long way of saying this is an area of law where it's not uncommon that you'd see the Supreme Court being deferential to the president, regardless of, of who is occupying the White House. Um, so, you know, it's a, 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 a true court perhaps being, uh, regardless of what's going on in the lower courts, you know, when, when it ultimately hits that high court and the rubber meets the road, often you will see um, cooler heads prevail. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Sotomayor uh, descended on this decision. Apparently it was a 5-4 split with the usual... Uh, uh, suspects uh, not supporting uh, the rule of law, in my opinion, including, uh, I've forgotten her name now, but the uh, the older woman who's, <laughs> who's on the Supreme Court. Anyhow, uh, the the point being, I, when the president was first elected, I remember there were uh, decisions based on what was on the president's mind and when he made this ruling, and was he being, for example, uh, discriminatory or racist in his decisions about immigration. So, Seems to me now, uh, to your point, I mean, the, basically the the president should have actually constitutionally authority to make decisions with regard to this, and uh, the, now I think they're being more amenable. Well, it is, you know, I'll say it's a multifaceted issue. So with, with you know, immigration per se, that's not necessarily my bailiwick. So, mm -hmm. um, but I do, you know, I do respect the rule of law. I will say that, that on this policy writ large, it has implicated some things that have raised red flags that we've talked about before. So, for example, the border wall funding, which I do think is, is sort of involved or swept up in this whole immigration issue and the extent to which... Congress had said, no, we're not going to fund this, and the president nonetheless, you know, would declare that emergency to find a way. Uh -huh. um, so it is, I think with every administration, I mean, you know, Trump is no different on this score, it's a mixed bag. I mean, again, I like a lot of the stuff Trump is doing, um, uh, but, you know, it, it's, uh, I agree with you, the rule of law, uh, yes. Uh, you know, you know, very much um, at the same time. Yeah. I do think on this particular issue, it has been expected. So the uh, the House passed a four hundred eighty four billion dollar relief package uh, yesterday, and it's going to go to the president's desk. He's expected to sign it, of course. Now we're seeing, uh, you know. <laughs> 
Haste makes waste, I guess, is the, the, the thought that I have in my mind. And we're already seeing Ruth Chris Steakhouse and others return money that was, it's ridiculous to send them $20 million and other large businesses, uh, restaurants. Uh, of course, uh, Harvard University getting a big swath, a large swath of money, and uh, they're returning it, fortunately. I guess uh, Notre Dame has decided, nope, we're not returning the money. <laughs> but but uh, what are your thoughts about all this? Well, I mean, uh, so as a policy matter, um, you know, I probably judge the the risks of coronavirus differently than the policymakers. So it's difficult to assess, you know, what are they spent now, $3 trillion. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of an actual real emergency, um, you know, there, there can be justifications for a, a government injection of money. So setting that aside, what you said is exactly right. Haste makes weight. So regardless of the wisdom of the underlying policy, there are a few red flags. Um, Congress, you know, when they passed the last $2 trillion, established a, a commission to oversee how these monies were spent. And, and in the outset, when, when you were asking this question, you gave examples of, of say, uh, the, the, the expenditures that didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. well, well, what has the congressional oversight amounted to? This is no joke. Just one person saying things on Twitter. Um, and, you know, that, that's, not, that's not really good enough, um, in my humble opinion. So there weren't any real serious oversight efforts attendant to this other $500 billion that they've spent. So I fear that, you know, it, regardless of the merits of the underlying policy, and I do think that's an altogether separate debate, um, haste does make waste. And I fear that, that we're not getting the sort of oversight, even, you know, kind of common sense oversight, that would avoid a bunch of this waste. I'll note one other thing. Um, they did it by voice vote again. Mm -hmm. And I do appreciate the dangers of, of lawmakers having to travel across the country, but some did. Some actually made the drive, and, and I know it stinks to have to drive across the country sometimes, but that is a sacrifice and perhaps a public servant might have to make um, before they pass $3 trillion worth of spending, which just seems like it's a, 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 a law, a statute, a measure of the magnitude yeah. that does warrant some deliberation. So uh, the, the kind of the, the haste makes waste, and we're seeing it not just with the lack of oversight, but also in the process that goes into the bill. You know, I, I guess I, I would I would have been more for, and of course, second guessing. I mean, uh, twenty twenty hindsight and all that, but uh, second guessing this whole thing. We had the apparatus in, in place in order to provide unemployment benefits. Just uh, somehow pass a law saying we're going to support the states of paying out this money under its usual methods. We're perhaps going to extend unemployment for an extra month. Uh, send the, the citizens some money. Perhaps get that money out so that so that they're able to survive and and uh, provide this uh, small business uh, loan package to that can have forgiveness. I get all that. But right now, that the in increase in the unemployment benefits, I mean, they actually, in fact, we're going to talk about this in the next segment, of course, but uh, pe people are actually incented not to work. It's, you know, I'll tell you a very personal, honest story. My, my brother Duffy, he uh, works out in catering in uh, Colorado, um, and, you know, I love, love, love my brother more than anything, but he was discussing with me, he was one of the, because he's such a great worker, he was one of the few people, 5% of the staff that they kept on board. Mm -hmm. um, and he was talking about how, you know, every day he's peeling onions, um, and he's thinking about how the people who got laid off, or not laid off, and thank God he's still got a job, so, you know, he takes a great deal of pride in that. Yeah. But he did find it somewhat, uh, the co there was a cosmic irony at play 
and the fact that he was making less, <laughs> staying on peeling onions 12 hours a day, um, than the people yeah. uh, you know, who weren't. And I'm not impugning the people who weren't. I'm not saying that at all, but right. I am saying it can lead to perverse incentives. Absolutely. William Yeaven, again, a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. William, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, Blue Provence offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. During the governor's stay-at-home notice, Blue Provence is offering pick-up curbside takeout options five nights a week, Tuesday through Saturday. To place an order, just call 261-8239 Tuesday through Saturday from 4 to 7 p.m. A 20% discount will be applied on all food orders during these unprecedented times. Compliment your order with amazing wines from the Blue Provence Retail Wine Store, offering amazing choice and value. Blue Provence Wine Store is open Monday to Saturday, 9 to 12 p.m., and has one of the most eclectic and fun wine cellars, offering 10% off cases. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Creative policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. Well, of course, that's after this pandemic. But you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Sharon Kenny, the author of Where Should We Eat? Right now we have with us Phil Kirpin, as I mentioned before the break. He is the president of American Commitment. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob, great to be with you. Thank you, Phil. Tell us about American Commitment. Uh, we are a national free market advocacy group. We work uh, really on all of the fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues, and uh, we try to focus on the things that are on the margin, where a little bit of citizen engagement and education can make the difference in a more free market direction, and uh, everything's on the website, AmericanCommitment.org. Terrific organization. And Phil, you wrote a piece along with Stephen Moore, the economist, uh, uh, who uh, about the 
package, about the stimulus package. Maybe you could tell us about it. Well, we focused on uh, really what we think is the principal design defect, and uh, we wrote this a few weeks ago. It's getting a lot more attention. The issue is over the last few days because it's playing out exactly as we said it would, and Mm -hmm. this is the issue of uh, making unemployment pay substantially more than work, and um, it's making it very, very difficult, uh, as we anticipated it would, uh, for businesses that are trying to get, uh, you know, restaffed for relaunch uh, after being subject to lockdown, to actually do that, to actually get people to come back to work or to fill positions if they can't get the people that they had before, because what they're discovering is that a lot of the employees say, well, um, I'm making more money now on unemployment than I made when I was at work. Can you match what I'm making on unemployment, or else can you let me just stay on unemployment for a while? Mm. And, you know, it puts employers in a very, very difficult position, especially if they're trying to get the same employees to come back to work, because they either need to really be the bad guy and call the unemployment office and say, I offered this person their job back, they should lose their eligibility, um, and even if they do that, it's not a guarantee that it'll work because, you know, the employee could say, I'm still scared of the virus or, you know, I have kids to watch at home or I can't take the job for any number of other reasons and continue to get unemployment. Uh, and if they do come back to work, they're going to be pretty angry about the fact that you took away their unemployment. And right. so we've got this situation where because the federal government said we're going to make the unemployment benefit the standard state benefit plus an extra bonus $600 per week, Uh, you've got a huge portion of the workforce that actually gets paid more right now not to work than to work. And that provision runs all the way through the end of July. It runs to July 31st under the law that they passed. And that's, I think, going to make it very difficult, uh, even when we get the all clear on the virus almost everywhere, uh, to really get the economy moving and in gear um, because there's such a disincentive for people to work. And, um, Democrats already want to extend it, Bob. Nancy Pelosi said she wants to extend it from the end of July to the end of September in the next yeah. bill. And yeah. so uh, I think Democrats want to make this permanent. They seem to think it's not, not just uh, okay, but a good thing uh, for unemployment for you know basically half of the American workforce to pay more uh, than, than they made when they were working. Yeah, maybe uh, universal income is what they've got in mind. <laughs> but, you know, and to your point, I mean, the small businesses, I mean, they are desperate. They need, and when you have to take on new employees as opposed to the ones that you've already trained, it takes time, it takes effort, it's less productivity. I, I mean, it would have been a lot smarter to simply say to the states, use the, your current mechanisms. We want to open up unemployment to, to folks for a period of time, but uh, we'll, make, we'll guarantee the funding if you're out of funds to do this, but uh, there had to be a better way of doing this. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is all of the versions of the talking points that the Democrats had throughout the negotiation said, we want unemployment benefits up to 100% of wages. And that was their bullet and that was their talking point. And uh, that's problematic itself, uh, I think. But uh, it's not nearly as problematic as what they ended up doing, which is basically up to 200% of wages uh, because they didn't have any cap at all. It's just the state benefit plus $600. Um, And when the bill came out, and Republicans thought, they said, oh, you've, you've made a mistake. This is a drafting error. You did not include the cap of 100% of qualifying wages that you had been talking about. And um, Democrats said, oh, no, we didn't make a mistake. We've wanted to do this for a long time. This is what we want. And mm. they actually had an amendment on the floor. Ben Sass from Nebraska put it forward that would have capped uh, unemployment at 100% of wages. 
and it failed. Only one Democrat voted for it, Joe Manchin. And so this is this was not a mistake. Uh, for whatever reason, the Democratic Party now believes that it's appropriate, uh, not just during a lockdown, but even beyond, uh, for unemployment to pay significantly more than work. Um, that's a problem, Bob. Yeah. I, that we have a man, and the Republicans, as much as they opposed it, you know, they didn't stop the bill over it. They went along with it. Well, that's and the problem. So that's that's the law now, and it was an emergency, and I get that kind of thing. Uh, but um, we're now starting to see these stories left and right. I mean, there were a couple in Politico and even NPR this week. There was a big one in CNBC yesterday. We're getting lots of examples of of you know uh, businesses, restaurants, spas, and businesses that rely on low and median wage workers and even even relatively high wage workers who are hourly workers you know and in some states you know that have high unemployment benefits florida has relatively uh... modest unemployment benefits i think you cap it around two hundred seventy five dollars so this is an issue uh... for you up to about you know eighteen or nineteen dollars an hour but in some states it's an issue up to you know twenty eight twenty nine dollars an hour where people can make more on unemployment than work and so uh, I hope that they can fix this in one of these bills. Uh, mm-hmm. At a minimum, I hope they do not extend it beyond uh, the current uh, July 31st expiration. Yeah. Uh, AOC's comments are almost prophetic, aren't they? There should be some sort of... Uh, uh, t- t- everybody should stay home after the coronavirus. Yeah, it's easier to tell people that if they're going to make more that way, isn't it? <laughs> it's just unbelievable, Phil. So again, haste makes waste. It's kind of the theme of today's program so far. That we've we've rushed into a solution that is uh, creating perhaps many problems, maybe more problems than we had in the beginning in terms of our economy. And, and I'll just reference, for example, uh, universities like Harvard receiving large grants. They're not going to take it. That's good. But uh, companies. Uh, restaurant businesses, why they're getting um, large restaurant firms getting huge amounts of money like uh, Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Uh, they're giving back the money too, but you can see there's just so much pork in this thing. It's just unbelievable. It, uh, it, was, it was a pretty ugly process. And, uh, you know, you, you, Congress is not supposed to pass a bill that shovels massive amounts of money out the door and then based on public outrage and reaction asks people to give the money back. They're yeah. supposed to know where it's going when they pass the bill <laughs> and be able to defend it. Uh, and it, it, this was a, it's a pretty bad process. But the bottom line is this, Bob. Um, the government cannot float the United States economy, mm-hmm. and we cannot have the country locked down for an indefinite period of time without massive, massive negative consequences. And, you know, at, uh, on some level, it, it almost doesn't even matter how much money the government is pushing out the door. You can't buy products and services that nobody is selling, that nobody's producing, that nobody's creating. And, you know, I, this whole idea that some large number of the American workforce is in some sense non-essential I think is wrong. I yeah. think everything is essential and everything is interrelated. And if this goes on much longer... We're going to see breakdowns in the supply chain for the things that you literally need to live, including food and, and medicines and so forth. And we're already seeing warnings about potential mass global famines as a consequence of the lockdowns that could oh. dwarf uh, the deaths that we've seen uh, from this virus. And so I think this whole approach uh, really has caused a lot more harm than good. Uh, we should have not locked down the entire population for a disease that's really only statistically uh, harmful for older people and people with specific pre-existing conditions. We should have protected the vulnerable instead of locking down everything and shutting down everything. And I think the cost 
of the policy we've pursued is uh, staggering in ways we haven't even seen yet. I saw the uh, one of the top cancer experts in the United Kingdom this week said that he believes uh, that in their country, and I suspect in our country as well, uh, the increased cancer deaths over the next five years from the from uh, screenings and biopsies being declared non-essential are going to be larger than the deaths that wow. we saw from the virus. And so I think there are just going to be a lot of downstream consequences uh, that are going to be really negative. Wow, Phil, oh, my goodness. Great commentary. I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show, Phil. Again, Phil is the uh, president and CEO of American Commitment. You can find out more by visiting the very robust website, AmericanCommitment.org. Phil, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. My, my pleasure indeed. All right. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Sharon Kenny. Change the direction a little bit. She writes commentary on dining, entertainment, and travel. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. As Southwest Florida is impacted by the coronavirus crisis, the organizations that provide relief and support to our community's most vulnerable population are finding their resources stretched. For 32 years, St. Matthew's House has provided food, shelter, and comfort to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, and homelessness. St. Matthew's House is the only emergency homeless shelter in Cuyahoga County, sheltering more than 300 men, women, and children every night and providing more than 500,000 meals each year to those in need. For those who have shelter but are food insecure, direct assistance is offered through the St. Matthew's House Food Pantry and Grocery Distribution. Donations of food, hygiene supplies, detergent, diapers, and monetary support are needed curbside drop-off is available at St. Matthew's House Main Thrift Store at 2601 Airport Road, South Naples. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that does not solicit government funding. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org or call 239-774-0500. That's 774-0500. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, and I proudly serve on their board. I hope you'll find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Sharon Kenny. She's an author. Her, the name of her book is uh, Where Should We Eat? It's about uh, restaurants and the Paradise Coast that, uh, you know, for any occasion that she recommends. She also writes commentary on travel, uh, dining, and entertainment. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. 
Hey, lovely to talk to you this morning, Bob. Beautiful morning out there. The birds are singing. Oh, you know, and you're pointing out something that's just so important. You know, with all the things that are going on, especially the negative news, right now we can just appreciate the fact that we're healthy and we live in the most beautiful place in the world, in my opinion. So uh, we have a lot to be grateful for. Well, isn't that the truth? And I'm back in Naples. I've been spent since this all started. I've been uh, working in Miami, and I got back to Naples yesterday. Very interesting to see the contrast uh, between what's going on in Miami and what goes on in Naples. Um, I was pretty shocked to go into stores yesterday, and I realized that there's not a mask uh, mandatory mask order here in Naples. Um, Miami Miami has had a mandatory mask order for <clears throat> excuse me three weeks. I'd say, and you cannot go into any store at all without a mask on in Miami, and yet here that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, well, actually, uh, my wife actually went to the uh, Whole Foods, and she said everybody but her was wearing a mask, so apparently there is there is some sort of uh, social pressure for that to happen, although I do question the the viability of wearing a mask and why it's important. That said, um, <laughs> I think... And I think that has to do with the location where she went. Uh, I think Whole Foods people probably are mask, mask wearers. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I, I was mentioning on the show that we uh, I was pumping gas for a car yesterday, and I was, I got the evil eye from this woman who was wearing a mask, and I apparently the, the inference that I drew is that why am I not wearing a mask? Shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, and I don't understand. There's no reason to wear a mask when you're outside. Right. Fresh air is, a, you know, a natural disinfectant, I think. And, you know, that's, but in the closed quarters, in stores where you're coming close to people, I can understand why people, for, for any reason, would want to wear a mask, you yeah. know, whether it's effective or not. But, I mean, I think that's a reasonable precaution, but not outside. I, I don't uh, see any reason to wear a mask outside. Uh, agreed. So uh, the question I have is uh, what's going on with restaurants. And have you talked to, I know you're uh, very active in that area. Have you talked to any restaurant owners, and what are they dealing with right now? I realize that a lot of them are closed and doing takeout and so forth, but uh, I'm sure there's a lot of back uh, delivery problems and so forth. Yeah, there's a lot of problems that I didn't anticipate, you know, that are going on with restaurants right now when some restaurants have been able to open some for takeout and yet other ones haven't. But some of the issues they're having is uh, small business loans in order to pay um, salaries mm -hmm. have been difficult. Um, and so, you know, and a lot of our restaurants are small businesses. And so they, you know, and they work on that month-to-month -month margin. And so small business loans uh, in order to just keep open and also vendors to pay vendors. If you haven't paid your vendors for last month, then they're not giving you, they're not willing to upfront you food uh, for this month Yeah. in oh. order to actually open your restaurant. So that's been an issue behind the scenes at a lot of restaurants. Also setting up the whole um, online ordering system for smaller restaurants that don't have an IT person, that haven't got that in place yet, that's been an issue as well, being able to actually order online. And um, if you didn't have a great you know, Uber Eats program or something beforehand, if you're just doing pickup in a new um, way, then that's been something that restaurants have been struggling with. But, you know, there have been some, some bright spots, some, some new openings that um, have been announced. The Aieli Group um, just announced that they, it's either today or tomorrow they will be opening for takeout all four of their restaurants, hmm. which is great, great news. And um, so that's, as you know, Sea Salt, Barbatella, Dorona, and Grappino. And they've got four different menus, each for each restaurant. And um, they, they are 
picking the dishes that will travel well. That's the other, that's the other hang up for some of the restaurants that haven't opened yet is that their food, they're worried that their food will not travel well. Um, and so that they don't want to seem like they're diminishing the quality of their food by having it as a takeout. And so that's the other part with restaurants um, that maybe haven't opened yet for takeout. But um, it, that's a great news that the Aieli group of restaurants is opening soon. And, uh, I know my husband will be open, ordering a pizza from Grappino in the next 24 wow, hours. That's so, that's so interesting you say it, because when you say food doesn't travel well, I was thinking, we don't usually eat French fries, but I uh, noticed that when we got French fries home, from, uh, when we got takeout from a restaurant, <laughs> fries were pretty limp. Right. <laughs> and if you can think about fish or, um, you know, some of those other things that have to be eaten a la minute. Um, you know, then they get in the car and they travel home and it gets cold and you reheat and then it just doesn't seem the same. And people, the restaurant owners don't want you to be turned off their food. That's right. You know, when things come back up. Well, the the other point that you made, I think, is a good one because making the decision to do takeout, okay, let's do takeout. That's a great way to generate income and provide a, a value and a service to the community. You, you just can't do it. I mean, you have to have a process in place. And in fact, I went to one restaurant that did not have a very effective process in place. People were standing in line waiting for food. It was very uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> no, everybody had an expectation they'd drop by, somebody being a mask, give them their food, and they'd you know, pay for it and take off. Well, that didn't happen at all. So, you know, it's it's not an easy process. Well, I know some of the restaurants that have been doing it well um, in Miami that I was uh, 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 going to, um, they actually gave you a time for a pickup. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like it, and it was in 15 minute increments. They actually didn't stick very well to that time, but the theory was good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that you wouldn't have a bunch of people all jamming in there, you know, at the same time. Yeah. In fact, uh, we went to a restaurant, Alexander's actually, and they had a very, very uh, nice process in place. But we said, we'd like to pick it up at 5 o'clock. And they said, so your time is 5 12. <laughs> wow. And was it? Oh, yeah, it was great. I mean, the, the person was standing there with their food, with a mask on. We were running a little bit late, in fact, so, uh, but anyhow. Uh, well, you know, the other thing, I, I work in messaging a lot for uh, for the cruise business, and um, one of the, and there were this whole series of, of events and business disruptions. What people, if you're noticing the messaging that's coming out now, everybody's looking for that turning point. Everybody's looking for that, what they call the pivot, mm-hmm. when we can move from the drumbeat of despair to looking forward and um, acting more pos- speaking more positively. And I heard an interesting, uh, a CEO say an interesting quote from Winston Churchill the other day about this pivot that we are starting to see as the, the number of cases is peaking and, and hopefully plateauing and starting to go down. He said uh, this Winston Churchill quote about World War II at one point, uh, this is not the beginning of the end, but it is the end of the beginning. Uh, well, very well said, absolutely. Sharon Kenny, again, the author of Where Should We Eat? Encourage it. Your website is up, isn't it? Whereshouldweeat.com? Where should we eat Naples.com? Where should we eat Naples.com? Sharon, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to talk to you, Bob. Better days ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Sharon. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo. As I mentioned earlier, he's the uh, founder of Executive Management Services. They build his business from nothing to up to over 6,000 employees. 
Uh, he dealt with the SEIU union bosses, and they tried to uh, intimidate him, his customers. It was just absolutely awful. He wrote a book about it. It's called The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And when this pandemic is over, great education programs during the summer for young people. And, of course, the New Works Festival coming up as well. Check it all out at Gulf Shore Playhouse. .org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Uh, a book about the travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years that wanted to bypass secret ballot by having Dave sign a neutrality agreement, which would, in effect, given the union bosses the uh, power, the right, to go by and sign up his employees, intimidate them into signing a a card for union membership. And once they got to 50% plus one, voila. He was unionized. He refused. He said, if you want to unionize my shop, you're going to have to do it through secret ballot. They failed and uh, slunk off like rats on a sinking ship. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. And uh, just to uh, follow up on what you just said, um, and I want your uh, audience to know this too, but you wrote uh, an article about me back in October of 2012 in the Naples, Florida Weekly, 
uh, called Dedicated to Creating an Employee-Focused Culture. And you talked about my books and everything in there and what we went through. And I encourage people to uh, see if you can backtrack and find the article. I just happened to uh, stumble across the paper here the other day in my office at home, and I thought, I've got to tell Bob thank you. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for uh, recognizing that. I appreciate it so much. Well, I, I just really admire the work that you've done because with all the dirty tricks that uh, the union bosses tried to play on you at SEIU, and by the way, not all unions are bad, but these guys are, well, they're gangsters in my opinion. But uh, they tried to, the dirty tricks they played, tried to intimidate your customers, tried to write dirty uh, labor relations board, national labor relations board complaints against you that had no merit whatsoever. Uh, just unbelievable. So I just encourage our listeners to read the book because it's such a great read. So what's going on right now? Well, the unions are <clears throat> trying to use this uh, coronavirus as uh, a means of uh, going back out and uh, uh, you know, force unionizing people and getting other people on board to unionize, and uh, and they're also doing it to raise money by uh, telling the employees, even though you're laid off, you got to still pay the union dues because uh, if you don't, we're going to cut your benefit program. Mm. And uh, this tells you what kind of mentality these people have, mm. and it's sad. And uh, at the same time, um, the like the American Federation of Government Employees. They're suing the federal government for hazard pay related to the pandemic, and uh, they want to secure um, 25% of hazard pay and 8% environmental differential. This is for the union bosses, and uh, you know the transit unions doing the same thing, and um, you know they're just uh, all over the country. Unite here, another big union, United Food and Commercial Workers. Um, you know. They're going after them and telling them that, uh, you know, you've got to uh, pay us and pay your dues and stuff like this. And it's just sad what the unions are doing. And the other thing is behind the scenes, they're going after companies that they haven't been able to um, unionize in the past and trying to get this going on a union, uh, forced unionized basis. Wow. So it's this whole thing. And the other part that I want to make sure your audience understands is that uh, the unions control the media. And uh, they're doing, they're pushing this and making it sound worse and worse and worse. And um, the reason they're doing it is because they want to bring Trump down and get the Democratic Party, who they control also, into the White House and the Senate, and then take over the country. Well, you know, I, I agree. I'm not sure control is the right word, but they certainly are in concert with, and, I'm, and what I'm talking about is the mainstream media, the Democrat Party, and, and uh, union uh, unions like SEIU, I think, are all working off of the same page and trying to figure out how to bring down Trump and how to uh, unionize workers across the country. And it's just, uh, I would be curious to find out, how is this all affecting you and your employees? Uh, well, it's uh, it's not hurting us. Um, you know, we're an essential company because we're having to uh, clean buildings and sanitize buildings, and we got many customers that are asking us to do more. We, have, we do have some customers that are shut down. And, uh, you know, our employees were, were just finding other places for them to work and, and stuff like that because we're, we're being asked to do so much. I mean, we've, I'll give you an example. In Pennsylvania, we had a customer there. Um, it's about a 300,000-square-foot building that we're cleaning. And uh, they, they moved all their employees out and everything. 
and um, they say we want you to still clean it, but we want you to sanitize from ceiling to floor hmm. the whole facility and do it several times. So we're, we're actually our employees are working overtime, or we're bringing other employees in from other areas to help them do it. Wow, that's good news indeed. Uh, we talked earlier with Phil Kirpin from American Commitment. He talked about this uh, wage that's uh, being actually exceeding the wage of our workers. When I'm talking about unemployment benefits, which could create a real problem in the nation. I guess that's not going to splash on you, though, is it? Well, I mean, it it it, it is different. Uh, and but here's the problem: I think people don't understand. Is yeah, they get they get the wages, but uh, they're not going to get signed up for you know, their health care and other stuff and things like that. Yeah, good point. Um, if they go on that. And, uh, you know, that's 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 a big thing that uh, uh, people have to look at. Well, and that too, what I would also suggest is that uh, I think people want to work. People, there's some meaning in work. There's actually uh, affiliations in work. You're part of something that's important. You have a common cause together. So I, I th- a lot of people, I think, are going to look beyond unemployment benefits and think about, you know, that job is gone. If they fill that job with somebody else, you've got to go out and find a new job after you get this unemployment benefit. So I'm hopeful. Well, I'm hopeful that people will respond positively. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think for the most part, uh, I think we will as time goes by here and people wake up to what's going on and that. And uh, But, uh, you know, again, um, I'd like to see us, uh, the, the governors and the, and the president, open up the country and get people back to work yep. and get businesses going again. And uh, we need to, you know, make the economy thrive again, and we need to do it as soon as possible. And uh, But here's the other side of it is, is we're still going to have um, some of the big unions like the SEIU and the far left part of the Democratic Party continue to push uh, this coronavirus so they can bring Trump down. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. And uh, I can tell you just one last thing, <laughs> as far as this election process, you know, they got Biden, who, I mean, obviously has some uh, mental problems at times. And, uh, but he, um, uh, he's not the one that the, the Democratic Party wants to run the the country. Uh, they're just getting him in there because he comes across okay. He doesn't come across too radical in that. I think who the vice president is, and I think it'll be a, a woman and uh, that's um, a very far left person. And uh, that person and uh, Barack Obama, who behind the scenes now is uh, supporting Biden, they'll run the country. Well, so interesting you should say that. Although uh, the countermeasure to this is uh, uh, Representative Karen Whitsett said, hey, you know what, President Trump, through this uh, uh, the uh, uh, medication that he recommended, actually saved my life. And boy, she's taken a lot of heat, uh, heat for this. President Trump said yesterday, well, she should join the Republican Party. And you perhaps heard about this guy. What's his name uh, uh, in the... Uh, his name is, I'll find it here in a second, Vernon Jones. I'll continue to let the Democrat Party know that the bigotry within the party is hurting African Americans. More and more African Americans are thinking independently. Now, he's down in Atlanta, Georgia, as mm-hmm. a state representative, and uh, he's basically said, you know, I was going to quit, but now I'm not going to do that. So these people are getting a lot of heat. I just wonder if it's not, not a, com- a canary in the coal mine of some people who are their consciences are saying, you know what, I'm not going to participate in this nonsense anymore. Yeah, and that's good. People are waking up, and uh, you know, but the far left is going to continue to do this because their agenda is is to uh, take over this country, and uh, you know, 
as you hear him talking about and heard Bernie Sanders, uh, they want to go to socialism, and uh, that's a sad thing. It is indeed. Dave Beagle, again, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Please visit his website, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. Get a copy of his book there on my website at a nice discount, and of course at any nice, any book purveyor across the United States, The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, just genuinely appreciate your commentary. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, and again, thank you for the great article you wrote 12 years ago. Uh, my pleasure, Dave. Thank you for saying that. Appreciate it. All right, well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you'll join us Monday. We'll have great guests, Mark Schulman, uh, the founder and, pre- uh, of, uh, and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of uh, the Foundation for Economic Education, and Jim McTagg, author of Shake the Money Tree. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.